for John chapter 3 verses 1 through 17. Now there was a leader of the Jewish people named Nicodemus. He came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you're doing apart from the presence of God. And Jesus answered him, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into one's mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit Spirit. Don't be astonished by what I said to you. You must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive the testimony. If I've told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must be the Son of Man lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, so that the world through him might be saved. These are our sacred stories. Theologian Frederick Buechner tells the story from today's gospel this way. Nicodemus had heard enough about what Jesus was up to in Jerusalem to make him think that he ought to pay him a visit and find out more. On the other hand, as a VIP with a big theological reputation to uphold, he decided it might be just as well to pay the visit at night. Better to be at least fairly safe than to be sorry, he thought. And so he waited until he thought his neighbors were all asleep. So Nicodemus was fairly safe, and at least at the start of their nocturnal interview, Jesus was fairly patient. What the whole thing boiled down to, Jesus told him, was that unless you got born again, you might as well give up. That was all very well, Nicodemus said, but just how are you supposed to pull a thing like that off? How especially were you supposed to pull it off if you were pushing 65? How did you get born again when it was a challenge just to get out of bed in the morning? How he even got a little sarcastic. Could one enter a second time into the mother's womb, he asked, when it was all one could do to enter a taxi without the driver coming around to give him a shove from behind. A gust of wind happened to whistle down the chimney at that point, making the dying embers burst into flame. And Jesus said being born again was like that. It wasn't something you did. The wind did it. The spirit did it. It was something that happened for God's sake. 
How can this be, Nicodemus asked. And that's when Jesus really got going. Maybe Nicodemus had six honorary doctorates and half a column in who's who, Jesus said. But if he couldn't see something as plain as the nose on his face, he'd better get back to kindergarten. Jesus said, I'm telling you, God's so in love with the world that God sent me down. So if you don't believe your own eyes, then maybe you'll believe mine. Maybe you'll believe me. Maybe you won't come sneaking around half scared to death in the dark anymore. Maybe you'll come too, come clean, come to life. What impressed Nicodemus even more than the speech was the quickening of his own breath and the pounding of his own heart. He hadn't felt like that since his first kiss, since the first time his child was born. It's almost comical that in the gospel so full of mysticism and metaphor that Nicodemus would try to take this metaphor literally and then for at least the last hundred years or so, popular Christianity would take one interpretation, one possible meaning of this metaphor, literally. It's a metaphor. Our models are metaphors for God. They matter. Theology matters. Our metaphors, our images, our ideas about God shape who we are. They provide, yes, distinctions among religious bodies, and that's all very interesting, but they impact our beliefs, our meaning-making. Theology matters because our understandings of God affect our actions or lack of actions, our ideals, our mental and physical health, our community. Theology is directly linked to how we connect or disconnect ourselves to others. Theology often determines who is included and who is excluded, who is given ear and who is ignored, who is privileged, who is oppressed. Theology Jesus answered him in metaphor. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And Nicodemus said to him, can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Nicodemus was stuck in one way of seeing things, one understanding of the realm of God. In this story, Jesus uses metaphor to help get him unstuck. The metaphor is so shocking that Nicodemus misses it at first. We can sympathize with him, can't we? We've heard this so many times. You must be born again, a born again Christian. Heard and read shouts that the only way to heaven is to be born again. It's so familiar that any shock value has long disappeared. What happens when a metaphor loses its shock value? What happens when it's literalized or banalized? When it's been repeated so often that it no longer sparks the imagination? With repeated use, metaphors begin to sound trite. 
biblical scholar Sandra Schneider's writes, the literalized metaphor goes underground and works on the subconscious level, creating vast reservoirs of cognitive untruth and distorted affectivity. She calls literalized metaphors the cancer of the religious imagination, powerfully and pathologically at work. Rather than recognizing that an experience with the realm of God is like being born again, like a vast and unexplainable newness, like a stirring of blood, like a fresh lens through which everything looks strangely new. Some Christians have literalized the metaphor, thereby confining being born again to the one way of being Christian, the one way of understanding the realm of God, one way of understanding Jesus's life and death. When we think we have all the answers, when we're not willing to see something in a new way, when we're stuck in concretized metaphors, we must be born again. We must give it all up. To me, this story is parallel with the story of the rich young ruler. Nicodemus's story is only in John and the rich young ruler is in everything except John. The rich young ruler asked Jesus a similar question to Nicodemus's. And after a little conversation around following the commandments, Jesus tells the rich young ruler to sell everything he has and give it to the poor. It is interesting, isn't it, that the answer from Jesus found in three gospels did not become a way to describe an entire group of Christians. Why don't we have born again Christians and give everything to the poor Christians? I digress. Jesus, in the story of Nicodemus, tells the man who thinks he has all the answers to go back to the beginning, to start over like a newborn baby and see the world with wonder, with new eyes. Jesus tells the man who thinks he has everything of value to sell it all and go back to zero so that he can see what's really important. They're both metaphors. They're both invitations into new life, new experience, mystery, a quickening of the breath and a pounding of the heart. Our story in today contains a very famous verse. John 3.16 is just as full of metaphor and like the story of Nicodemus, it's lost its shock value, lost its reversals. It's been concretized and is no longer seen through the lens of mystery and meaning and metaphor. I memorized the King James Version. Maybe you did too. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. These words of mystery and metaphor have been turned into the only way to be saved from eternal damnation in hell. But if that's our only view, this concretized form of the metaphor, then the opening lines of this verse become a condition. God so loved the world, but apparently only the world that will believe in Jesus because everyone else is 
going to hell. Listen again to Fichtner's retelling. Jesus said, I'm telling you, God's so in love with this world that he sent me down. So if you don't believe your own eyes, then maybe you'll believe mine. Maybe you'll believe me. Maybe you won't come sneaking around, scared half to death in the dark anymore. But maybe you'll come too, come clean, come to life. The giving of the Son by the God of love is not giving Jesus as a substitutionary sacrifice. Not in any of the Gospels, but especially not in John's. Remember that prologue? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God moved into the neighborhood. The giving of the Son is the incarnation. Emmanuel, God is with us. And whosoever believes in him, my goodness, have we been so certain about what it means to believe. What if it's not about believing in Jesus? but believing Jesus. I believe Jesus about God's love. I believe Jesus that we should love our neighbors and our enemies. I believe Jesus that when we think we have all the answers and everything of value, that we need to go back to zero to really see things clearly. I believe Jesus about caring for the poor and the marginalized. I believe Jesus. We've turned this metaphor into a theological requirement rather than into an action. To believe in Jesus, to believe Jesus, is certainly more of a theological claim. Action is following. Consider this, when Jesus calls the disciples, he does not ask them to believe anything. Not one theological statement. He asks them to follow him, and they do. May not perish, but may have eternal life. Eternal life. What does that mean? What is it? We've understood this to be about heaven and hell, but if what if we look at it again with fresh eyes, almost as though we're newborn. Throughout all four Gospels, Jesus is bringing in, ushering in the realm of God, the kingdom of God. In all the Gospels, this is eternal life. This is life in the age to come, and it's already here, even as it's coming, even as it's not yet. It's mystery, my friends. The realm of God is already here. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We're already participating in eternal life. The kingdom of God is here and now, even while the fullness of the realm of God is still on the way. Already, not yet. If you don't believe me, read John chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
It's in present tense. This is eternal life. And what's eternal life? Knowing God and Jesus. To know God and Jesus in the present is to participate already in eternal life and the realm of God's justice and love and peace. Could it be that this verse is not about believing a set of statements about Jesus now for the sake of heaven later? Could it be about believing Jesus, believing what Jesus teaches us about God and love and justice? Could it be about experiencing the incarnation, God with us here and now? What would happen if we saw this verse anew like newborns? If this metaphor supposedly about people going to hell because they don't believe could instead be seen as a metaphor about the path of life with God how we experience that life with God here and now through following in the peace-loving, life-giving, needs-meeting way of Jesus. Metaphors matter. Theology matters. God loves the world, all the world without condition, and we're part of that love. We can rest in it, like a newborn cradled in loving arms, known and adored, open to awe and wonder, seeing the world anew through fresh eyes. Amen.